Hello, welcome to The Freedom Factor, a podcast dedicated to exploring freedom and truth. From medical freedom, to freedom of speech and movement, to religious and spiritual freedom. In a time when our freedoms are being threatened at every turn, many of us are forming a collective space where we can share truth and knowledge without the fear of being canceled or censored. Fortunately, as we've seen throughout history, there are those brave souls who dare to speak out and stand against the tyranny that is threatening to overtake all of us. You will meet some of those brave souls here on The Freedom Factor. I'm your host, Oliver Bardwell. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, Iowans for Freedom. We have a special guest today. His name is Shad Clayton. Shad's become a great friend of mine. He is running for Senate. He just called me and said, hey, when can we do an interview? I have some ideas I want to talk about. And in the spirit of Tony Robbins, I said, well, when is now a good time? So <laughs> I, <laughs> I have him on my phone patched in through my roadcaster, and we're going to have a conversation. Shad, first tell everybody which district you're running for. So, Oliver, um, thank you, first of all, for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. I wanted to say that. Really appreciate your time and your effort and everything that you do for the state of Iowa and for the freedom of our citizens. So, but that being said, I'm in District 16, which represents West Des Moines, Polk County, Clive, Polk County, which is one, two, three, and four, and then Windsor Heights, one, two, and three. So, Windsor Heights, Polk County. So, basically, the district line is the, if you can picture, the western border is 60th from Hickman Road as the northern border to the Warren County line, Madison County line as the southern border. And then it goes all the way east to 63rd or 1st Street in West Des Moines. And then, of course, north back up to, to Hickman. So it's kind of like a tall, skinny rectangle. And I'm so close. I wish I was in your district. I got to tell you <laughs> something about Shad. He'll, he'll call me up out of the blue. We'll have these incredibly deep conversations where we try to change each other's minds about things. And I always think, oh, I wish I would recorded that. That'd be a great podcast. <laughs> it is. Because it's never, it's never planned. And so I think from now on, what we need to do is every phone call, we just need to automatically hit record. There right? you go. <laughs> <laughs> like I might call you like, hey man, my car's broke down. Could you pick me up? I'm recording. Hold on. Like, there you no, go. Let me old. hit the record button. <laughs> Get over here. There's nothing political about a broke down car. So, so anyway. tell me, I didn't ask you what today's topic was. So now it's a well, surprise. Well, there's, there's all kinds of different things that I could talk about. But I mean, when I called you, I just, you know, the past few weeks, just really going over things from the last legislative session and then reviewing, you know, kind of what's coming up on this, this legislative session and, and just thinking about things. And as you know, you know, you and I, see things from two different perspectives, but all of it's based in truth. We want to know the truth, right? Exactly. Yep. And I think the thing is today, it's so hard for average citizens to discern the truth and the impact of legislative policy because everything today has become so commercialized, meaning we live by platitudes. If our leaders say, this is against our freedoms or this is violated, okay, well, how exactly is it doing that is the question we need to ask. 
right? Because you go down a very dangerous road if you don't understand the details. And case in point, Oliver and I, last year, when we did that podcast on, or not a podcast, but a video on the back of the blue bill. Right. And I told him, I said, this isn't about protecting law enforcement. I said, there's more to this. And at first he was a little bit hesitant about it. And I said, read this. And we talked about why is it that qualified immunity was given to almost every state employee, especially Department of Health and Human Services and Department of Revenue. Now look at what's going on with vaccine passport, all the mandates, all the bills. They were protecting themselves yeah. in advance. Yeah. And you sent me a copy of the bill and you highlighted parts. And I, I backed the police. You backed the police. There's nobody who backs the police more than we do. But that bill... Boy, they, they put these names on these bills, like the vaccine passport ban bill. We know how bad that was and where that's gotten right. us today. Back the blue bill. Well, of course we back the blue. We want to back that bill. But then we read it and we think, holy cow, this is not right. They changed the me, definition of what a riot is, you know? Right. Right. A riot is three people making a raucous noise. So if me and Oliver and one other person are having a spirited discussion in his backyard, Right. Right. That could be that a riot. Be <laughs> really could be. And so I'm like, is this really protecting us? And I want everybody to think about this. All of this was in response to all the protests and everything and the fallout after George Floyd. Not going down that rabbit hole, but I just want you to think about, okay, so what was the aim of the bill? The aim of the bill across the country, all of these bills were to basically give police the latitude to do their job without fear of civil repercussions, that sort of thing. Right. Good intent. And yeah, good intent, and to protect property, discourage people from destroying property. Well, think about this. In Des Moines, we had like one day of some unrest. They like broke out a few windows and spray painted a dumpster. It wasn't Minneapolis. It wasn't St. Louis. You know, yeah, Chicago, across the nation, right? there were millions we had, and millions of dollars yeah, of millions, damage done. Yeah, millions of dollars. And we had like, I probably did more vandalism than that in my senior year of high school. Hey, Keokuk police, there's a statue. <laughs> right. Right. But I'm just saying, like, so I want you to think about this. We spend, we drafted this enormous back the blue bill in response to what? A couple of hoodlums that got out of hand. So now what you have is you've got charges that were previously serious misdemeanors that are now felonies. The people who might have broken those windows that one day and did all that sort of stuff, they're long gone. These laws affect us. They affect me. They affect you. They affect our children. So now you have a kid that makes a bad decision, goes out, drinks, gets in a bar fight, could be charged with a felony. Exactly. Now can't vote, can't carry a firearm. Can't yeah. like, and these are things, but if you come out, now here's the danger when I said, when I talked about the, the emotion involved, we talked about emotion being attached to things. When you say back the blue, you know how many, I've got a lot of law enforcement officers in my family, and there's been some heated discussions with some family members because they assumed that the minute I said I had a problem with the bill, they're like, how could you be against your family? I'm like, what are you talking about? And so what I, the reason I was calling you today is I was just like, we really got to take a step back and start taking the emotion out of these political discussions and start thinking logically. Yes, it's an emotional topic, but it's rare that emotion and logic coincide in the same boat. For sure. They need to, but they're two different boats, but they need to end up at the same dock. Does that make sense? And the same dock that both of them are heading toward is truth. And that's what we all want is the truth. And that's that's what this show is about. It's about freedom and truth. And right. it's important to 
try to separate the emotion from what's actually going on and to use some discernment. I received some backlash for my critique of that bill or my criticisms of that bill. And it was a, it was just because, you know, somebody's husband's a police officer or somebody thinks, Oh, you don't back the blue. Of course I back the blue. I uh, really appreciate good law enforcement. Well, let me flip it around. Let me flip it around for you guys. Uh, Some, you know, you might not know. I I happen to be an African-American. I'm a black man. So when somebody, I want you to, this is going to be a shocker. To us, okay. What I'm about and to say, you served in our you served in our military. I served in the military, so I'm a veteran. All three of my brothers, my dad was a World War II veteran. Every Clayton male in our bloodline has served in the army, dating back to the Civil War. So, my country is my heart, and protecting our constitution, our freedoms, and our rights—that's the core of who I am. And so, I, when I see injustice or when I see our rights being manipulated under the cloak of righteousness. It stirs something in me. And so think about this. When we say, oh, you don't back the police, that's no different than you're standing against something you don't like and somebody says, oh, so you're against minorities? Well, or you don't want to get the shot, so you're an anti-vaxxer. Yeah, you, you want to kill my mom? What? Right, right. You don't, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's insanity. Right. It's you insanity. Know? It's and like. So what we have to understand is sometimes we perpetuate the same insanity that's put out toward us and we've got to, even though we're justified in our cause, the means don't always justify the end. They don't. That's just because it's, it's how we care. So we can't stoop to the level of others. And I've talked to you about, and maybe another conversation, we'll talk more about the racism that I've already begun to experience from the left because I'm a black Republican. Yeah, and that's crazy. I, I just, that yeah, it, yeah. it's just, yeah, I'm like, hey, I have a white wife. Does that count? I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> like, like there's, they don't care. They don't care. Like, and what I want people to understand is that evil knows no skin color. Right. Okay. We've got to get away. Like evil is evil. Unfortunately, we've been duped into believing that evil is either Democrat or Republican, black or white police or black lives matter. That's not true. You know, that's one thing I told my wife about you last night. I said, you know, one of the things I love about Shad is that, and I don't know how people will take this, but you don't really know what party he's with because he stands on principles. It's people right. before politics. And I'm the same way. If you look at my website or if you look at our group, obviously, you know, the Republican Party is a little bit more conservative and right now more freedom oriented. So that's where I end up most of the time. But you can't tell that from what I talk about and from our page and from our principles and, and whatnot. It's all about principles. It's all about where you stand and where your values are. It's not about, okay, I'm, I'm in this tribe, so I'm going to support right. everything well, this tribe does because that's, I don't support, you know, if Trump's out promoting vaccines, I'm not okay with that. Yeah, that doesn't mean that, oh, you're against, so you're against freedom, Oliver. Right, exactly. <laughs> Wait, what? You're against our liberties. You're against Trump. You're against, I mean, I'm like, right, right. It's ridiculous. You know? And so in response to that, like, and you and I have had this conversation, but I'll just repeat, Ben's recording is, you're absolutely right. You go, And I've gotten a couple messages about this. Hey, well, I can't tell if you're Democrat, Republican, or independent from your website. If there's not anything in, anywhere on there. And I, my response is that's done on purpose because that's not what defines me. We have literally destroyed 
the genius political system, we've begun to destroy it because the founding fathers never envisioned two national parties that controlled the country. They never saw that coming. That's not what they intended. So now what happens is if you don't fit into one of the two categories, you're against America or you're against what I think America should be. And now what you have is mob rule, which is what the founding fathers, if you read the Federalist Papers, read the 10th and the 51st Federalist Papers and your eyes will be wide open. Everything that's happening today, the founding fathers sought to like keep from happening. And so what I tell people is that my duty, my loyalty isn't to a party. It's not to a flag. It's not to a president. It's to the Constitution of the United States of America. That's my loyalty. Right. Exactly. And that's where it should be. Yep. And so how I live my life as a political candidate, the reason why I don't necessarily like, yes, I'm a Republican. You go look that up. I'm not trying to hide it, but it's not what defines me. So it's not highlighted. What defines me is, first of all, my faith as a follower in Jesus Christ. Second of all, my commitment as a husband and a father. And third of all, my country in the fact of a serviceman and a citizen soldier. So if the legislation or the ideology is in conflict with either one of those in that order, you're going to have a battle for me. That's how I stand. I will never change. If it doesn't, if I don't get elected because of that, that's fine with me because I will never change who I am. And that's where we need people to be on both sides or in both parties. If we had more people like that, we'd have more bipartisan bills. We'd have people coming together and working together like the Democrats and the Republicans of old, you know? And let me say something too about bipartisanship before you go any further is bipartisanship has almost become a bad word because people look at bipartisanship now as traitors. That's the truth. People are starting to think if you're bipartisan, you've sold out. Like you've basically turned your back on your principles. So what I want to say is this, I'm a Christian. If I go sit down with a Muslim religious leader, that doesn't mean I'm turning my back on my Christian faith. I'm trying to understand him and get to know about more about him. That doesn't mean that I'm going to violate any principles of my faith. Because first of all, my faith tells me that I'm supposed to love. Right. God is love. That is the primary responsibility of Christians is to love first, show grace. Right. Yep. And, first and so, John chapter yep. four, verses seven through 21. Four. Yep. And, I was and just reading it last about, night. It's very specific about how government is supposed to do that. And the problem that we have today is government is set up to punish, not to restore. So basically what we've done is started to move toward Old Testament law where there is no grace, there is no forgiveness. If you're this or you're that, then we are going to destroy you. Right? Exactly. And we, we had a luncheon with five doctors that came, two from Iowa and three from out of state, to speak to our legislators. And we sent the invitation to every senator and every representative. And I don't believe one Democrat showed up. And I was disappointed because we had 40 legislators and senators there. They asked great questions. And, you know, it was just a fantastic lunch, but not one Democrat showed up. I was disappointed. And and the reason why is not because what you're doing, it's not because they didn't think they could get great information from it, is they didn't want to be seen as aligning with anything that was remotely conservative. But I tell you this, though, let's be honest. This is where I'm going to speak truth is the truth is if you were a Democrat and you were having this conference, the Republicans wouldn't have showed up either. I wonder. Maybe one or two. But if you were a liberal Democrat and you were having a conference in the opposite, like this is why everybody needs to wear a right? They wouldn't have showed up because they don't want to be, they didn't want to, you see what I'm saying? They're more right, worried about right. political capital. So instead of going to the meeting, coming out and saying, hey, 
I disagreed with everything they talked about. There was some information there that I wasn't aware of, but I disagreed. Like, what's wrong with listening to people? And that's why my motto of my campaign is, Chad, he hears you. Because guess what? If you're a Democrat, I want to hear you. Just because I am a Republican doesn't mean, like, my aim is to represent the district, not the party. Exactly. I wish that I'm going to try to connect more. You know, my representatives are both Democrats, and they're both, I think, good people. Keenan Judge right. and Sarah yep. Joan Garrett. And yep. I, I have met and spoke with both of them. They're outstanding people. Uh, yeah. Keenan was walking down the street, door knocking, which he doesn't need to be doing a month or so ago. And I talked to him for 20 minutes out in my front lawn. So I wow. would like to connect with them more and see if there's a way that they can get on board with some of these medical freedom bills. Right. Because I don't think they, like you said, it's all. Once they get in there, and I understand that, I think a lot of it, too, is, you know, they're kind of under the thumb of their leadership, too, as far as what they support and what they don't. But if we can start turning the tide, you know, and I'm, I'm willing to take the lead because I don't, like, I don't have anything to lose. Like, I'm not running for that. I'm not trying to impress one party or stay in one good graces. I want to run to testify to the truth and do what's best for our district, for our state, and for our country. So if that means that I'm going to take some flack for it, then so be it. What am I going to do on my deathbed lay there one day? Be like, Hey, I didn't stand for what's right, but boy, I didn't take any flack. I, I'm not, not, I can't do that. You know, I don't care about the flack. My mom always taught me, Hey, guess what? If you're going to do anything worthwhile, you're going to be controversial. People are going to come after you. Yes, for sure. And now they're coming after yeah. you because you're a black man in the Republican <laughs> party. <laughs> it, it, how it is, dare it you? Is, it is. <laughs> it is. Well, how dare I think for myself? And I haven't offered to, uh, and I won't go into details, but I just got a message. And the ladies first, I'll just say the audacity. The, a middle-aged, you know, white lady from my district and her first reach out to me, the message, her first attempt to contact said, didn't say, hi, Mr. Clayton, I see you're running. I'd like to talk to you about your views and I want to try to understand. She said, would you mind explaining to me how you as a black man justify running as a Republican, being that they're so racist and push racist agendas? And I'm just sitting there. I literally had to put my phone down and go gain my Christ-like composure because of my response originally would not have been <laughs> because I was, and it wasn't because it was because I was so mad. It was because I'm like, you know what? Jim Crow called and he wants his ideas back because that's how you're acting. Right. That's right. what I wanted to respond. And so this is what people have to see. Like they have to see that there is blindness on each side of the aisle. The blindness of Democrats is, I think this lady in her heart of hearts believes what she's saying. Right. I think she believes that Republicans are trying to be racist, trying to be, I'm just like, that's so ridiculous. Yeah. Right. But she believes it. The problem is she believes. So I'm not going to. So what was your response? uh, I invited her to coffee. I told her that I respect her opinion. I would like for her to hear mine and why I believe what I believe. And also I said, I asked her if she could please specify the exact policies that were racist so that I, I said, because if there's racist stuff being pushed by my party, I'm going to go knock some heads together. Like, I want to know what's up. So did she come back with specifics? Nope. She came back with, like I said, it matters what party you're running for. Their race is this. I was like, well, that wasn't my question. And that always floors me. It's like, if you can't, don't use a broad description to describe a group and not have facts to back it up or not have these are specific things that we could change about the Republican party. You know, these are specific things that bother me. These are policies or laws that have been passed that bother me. 
yeah, and that's just it. But we can't have that conversation now for some reason. That's what I don't understand is, and I think part of that is cancel culture. Yeah, it's, <clears> it's <throat> like attack your character, don't actually talk about the issues. Right. And the other part of that is perversion of our political system of monetary gain, meaning politicians are worried about raising money because they have to raise money to be elected. They've got to get money from the party. They've got all, all these sort of things. And so at the end of the day, they're not going to risk political capital if it's too controversial. But I'm like, political capital and preserving the party wasn't the reason why you ran. The reason you ran was to uphold constitutional principles. The Constitution doesn't say anything about, hey, you know, the right to bear arms shall not be infringed unless the policy is going to cost you too much money and you won't get reelected. Exactly. What? Yeah, and that's what, just, you know, we saw that with the vaccine passport ban bill. It was like, okay, we're, we're going to ban vaccine passports. Great name on this bill. But it exempted employers. It exempted medical right. facilities. Everybody has to be employed. Everybody has to go to the doctor at some point. That's part of that qualified immunity. Right. You know, they're trying to make themselves immune. The point of that bill was not about, but it was the fact that we are going to exempt ourselves from any fallout that could possibly happen. And you just can't. Well, and the scary thing is you see all these across the world and across in some places in the U.S., you know, vaccine uh, mandates. And, you know, now the health department has qualified immunity. Right. And the Department of Revenue, which issues business licenses. Right. So if you have a business and you're forced, if you're Tyson Foods like they did, and you mandate the vaccine, and you have an employee that has an adverse reaction and they have a lasting medical issue or, God forbid, even worse, lose their, you know, lose their life or something, you are not liable at all. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, they literally pulled, and, and I played college football, they pulled the play-action pass on us. Yeah. <laughs> they faked, and we all were looking like, oh, yep, we're going after vaccine passports. And we were looking at the running back, and they just threw the ball deep right over our head. Yeah. And now they're starting to see some of the legislators that had good intentions around that. I mean, they're now seeing how bad of an idea that was. Employer that with all the employer mandates and the nurses, the shortage of uh, medical professionals we have right now. Because you know, so many of them have said, "No way." You know, I've worked all the way through this pandemic. I don't, I don't want to get a shot. I have natural immunity. And on top of that. That actually connects to what you just hit on something, and it's it's a major concern of mine, and it's something I'm passionate about bringing to the forefront in the political discussion, and that is this. We legislate for intent, but rarely, rarely dive deep enough into analyzing the actual effect. Let me give you an example. There was much resistance to low-net housing subdivisions being put in certain communities, right? And I'm not going to list the communities, but they're more affluent communities. And the thing behind this is the fear is, well, lower income people probably going to vote more liberal and that's going to change the dynamic of the district. And so it had nothing to do with anything political. I mean, it had nothing to do with anything economic. It was political in nature. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, isn't that restriction of one's free. So you're telling somebody because you're poor, because you're low income, not even poor, but just low income. I mean, some of these, there's a low income housing 
deal not not far from my house. I live in West Des Moines, and I mean, my wife and I we have a you know nice home, live in a nice neighborhood. There's you know half million dollar houses two blocks away from me, and this subdivision that or this apartment complex that is for low rent people is nice. I mean, there's a pool, it's all brick, it's super nice, it's well kept. They have a pool, they have a daycare center, it's super nice. But the people that work there are people who don't make a lot of income. They work at Target or, you know, part time or whatever. And they're, they might be a single mom going to school, trying to get a better education. They're being given a chance because now they have housing in an area with access. You know, West Des Moines has better resources than living on the east side. So they, they've got a chance. And I was from a low income family. My mother was on public assistance. And there were a lot of things she wanted to provide for us that she couldn't, but we made a way out of no way. But we had to come up the rough side of the mountain, as the old gossip song says. My problem with it is we're not, we're saying, hey, we're going to be a little bit resistant to these low income housing because we think it'll drive down property values. Well, my property value is through the roof. Our house went from appraising for 275 to 317 in the last year. Yeah, right? and that, that's because of the cost of yes, construction and supply chain issues, et right. cetera. But this low-rent housing apartment complex has nothing to do, has done nothing to property value. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of nice condos and other things that came up around it. So we have this stigma about, well, poor people move in or if you know, they're going to be this, they're going to do that. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I was one of those kids. I was one of those kids that had my mom been able to live in a, in a nicer area, she could have got a better job. I could have went to West Des Moines schools instead of East, East schools. Now, I grew up in Keokuk, Iowa. I'm just interjecting myself into this situation, right? Like, if you had an, an opportunity, would you rather have your kid go to an inner city Des Moines school or go to Valley, right? Yeah, uh, obviously, obviously uh, I don't know if I'd use Valley, but maybe a nice yeah. Christian school Walking or private or, school or, or, yeah, or, Des Moines or Christian something. Or whatever. Or, uh, but if you only have one car, if you have one car in your household and you live in a poor area over on the east side, you can't get your kid out to Des Moines Christian. I tell you, right? I, I have a friend who coached high school soccer for Roosevelt, and he said guys were missing practice because they had one car. They had to take right. their grandma to the doctor or they had to, you know, they had responsibilities at their house. And... It wasn't like, and he coached for Drake for 20 years, and now he coaches for a a school in Minnesota, a college. But he said that the difference was glaring. It was such a difference. Right, and it's not done on purpose. It's not like, I'm not saying it's done on purpose. What I'm saying is- So were there people opposed opposed to that complex? Oh, yeah, big time. And so then this last legislative session, they went after the vouchers that these people use. So like they get subsidy vouchers or whatever, and so- it was put in a piece of legislation and I'm not, I'm just, I'm not calling anybody up, but you, you can go research it and figure it out. But it was put in legislation that they did like basically property owners didn't have to accept these vouchers. Well, that's guaranteed money from the government. Why would you like, think about that for a second. You got guaranteed rent. If I'm a business owner and you're telling me I'm guaranteed to get paid, why would I turn down a guarantee? Right. You know, here's the challenge and I'm going to, play devil's advocate like I often do when we have these conversations. If I'm, and I've been a property owner, if I have a, say I have a duplex and Mm -hmm. I have a couple that, you know, has a professional job, makes, I don't know, combined income of a hundred thousand a year, 80,000 a year. And I have the choice of those folks or somebody that has a voucher. There's the concern that, 
your property, if somebody comes in and their rent is free, that they won't appreciate it as much. Well, that's a character. So here's my response to that. I I appreciate what you're saying, and I've heard that before. But my thing is, that's a character discussion, not an income discussion. Meaning, my mom had somebody given her. My mom was president of the Missionary Association in the District of our church, raised four boys who all served in the military and all very successful. She worked two jobs, great Christian woman. Had my mom been given the opportunity to not have to pay rent, like, it's a character thing. Like, you walk into my mom's well, house, it smells like bleach and pine salt. You could eat off the floor. Like, it's the person, the people. And what I'm saying is, so that person now that's getting that voucher that might want to move into that apartment in West Des Moines so that they can go to whatever community college that's here or get or, or there's a job that's close to there that they're going to make more income. You see what I'm right. saying? So now I that's see exactly what you're saying because I grew up in the same household, I think. my We were poor, and... My mom always said, well, you don't have to have money to have a clean house. You don't have to. All right. I mean, if, and I'm the youngest of eight. So if one of my siblings so moved out of an apartment, it was cleaner when they moved in. Yep. We cleaned it before they moved in and we cleaned it before they moved out and it was cleaner. Same here. And you can imagine. But as a property owner, should they have the right to decide who rents you from them? You should always have the you should always have the right to decide who rents for you. But what I'm saying is it is to me blatant income discrimination. If you're saying, okay, so both have the ability to pay, but I'm going to assume that your character, your level of character as high as these people, when that person, that family that has a combined income of a hundred thousand a year, the husband could be an alcoholic and beat his wife and throw her through a wall and you got to patch it. It does. It's a character thing. It's not an income thing. So what, you know, what's so, the difference, though, in me saying, okay, I'm going to interview these two people and check their references, and mm-hmm. okay, well, the guy with the voucher has better references. The f- person that has more income does not have better references. That is your discretion. But the in- like, so income, race, marital status, all that sort of stuff, sex, nationality, should not play into determining a person's character. Right? Well, so what what does it about, determine a person's character or their ability to pay the rent? But that's what I'm saying. The ability to pay the rent, if it's nullified, if, if this person has a voucher, so you, they're going to sign a 12-month lease, they're guaranteed to have a voucher for 12 months, right? So let's say that's, that's off the table, okay? Now it's the individual. Okay, are they a clean person? Or do they have a criminal record? Do they have all that stuff is valid? What I'm saying is if they're stopped just at the voucher part, that's discrimination. And it's unfair because there are a lot of people, think of how many poor people, like, I don't know if you watch ESPN, some of these NFL players, 30 for 30 stories that came from the inner city and worked hard and their mom worked three jobs to put them through to a different school so they could get it. And they come, right? Like these stories, I'm just looking at some of these kids, like how many kids like that, right? Are good people, have good families. Mom and dad were poor and worked, but then they got out and they buy their mom and dad a house. I'm thinking, what if they would have started with a better environment? Now, the left would say you can't use those stories because those aren't the normal. (laughs) (laughs) It's not about the individual. (laughs) There's no individual responsibility. So back to the vouchers, though, are you saying that there was something in a bill that made it so landlords could say, we're not going to accept any vouchers across the board? Across the board. We're not going to accept the vouchers. And I'm not sure there was some pushback on it. I'm not sure eventually what happened to it or how it got, how it's affecting current things now. 
because I got off on the back. Of the, I got completely confused <laughs> with the back of the blue thing. <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, um, no, I, and, and I would have to agree with you. I mean, it should be an individual basis. And, right. you know, to say, like, oh, we're not going to accept mom. any vouchers, that's not, right. I mean, because you're going to have folks that come in as individuals that have better references or have, Right. Yeah, they're, better you, per, they're just yeah. plain person. And what yeah. if it was a person, I, think I about this, what if it was a that. person who, what if it was just a person who unfortunately their husband was killed in a car accident, they're trying to get back on their feet, they got two kids, and they're getting help from the state, and they're like, oh, you know what, I got this job out here, I need to move to West Des Moines, and once, I, you know, six months later after I get this job, I'm not even going to need government assistance anymore, but now they can't get an apartment in that place because the apartment's not accepting the voucher, and this person, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I know exactly what you mean, yeah. I definitely I think, think the landlord be. should have the choice about who rents from them, yeah, but absolutely. they shouldn't be able to discriminate across the board and say... Across the board. Right. And that's what... But see, in a lot of different pieces of legislation, things like... So, but it's either buried in or like we discussed earlier, it's titled something that's something that everybody's going to support to get the bill through and they're not realizing the after effect. So my aim when I get elected speaking in positive terms, is to encourage detailed and thorough analysis and discussion by making sure that constituents are fully informed on what it is they're voting for. I think that is just the, the key right now is we have been put in a situation where things just kind of get shoved through and we live off of the platitude or the title and we don't really have all the information, i.e. vaccine, passport, back to blue, all that. Well, if you think that that is where it stops, you're naive. This is happening with almost every piece of legislation that comes through, that there are things tucked in that have residual effects that affect all of us. doesn't matter who you are, where you live, it's going to affect us all. And so we've got to get to a point where we're holding legislators accountable. For sure. And that's why we started Iowans for Freedom is we want to inform people what are in these bills, share the details with them, and let them know that their voices matter. I mean, they can call their legislator, they can email their legislator, they can go to the Capitol and fill out a pink slip in the second floor rotunda and the master of arms or whatever he's called will take it back and they can have a conversation. They'll pull their legislator out if they're free and they can talk to him. So, and all that stuff matters. And they need to know when the bill's going to subcommittee, when the bill's going to committee, when the bill's going to the House floor so that they can show up and support it or show up and say, I don't support this bill because of X. And the, the other part of that too is the state legislative website is, is such a complicated quagmire that you could know exactly the bill you're wanting to find. And, and it's like even legislators have problems finding stuff in there. And I think there, there needs to be a simplified way for people to get on. Like not everybody has time to go to the Capitol, right? Or the ability. Like we're, blessed that we live in the capital city. I could take lunch break and run down right now, but if I live in Northwest Iowa, I can just drive down to the capital. So when people are getting online to find out what's going on and they can't find it, that's an issue too. So yeah, all that's, these things that's are, why we need to share those things with people. And, and, you know, we all have time to be a keyboard warrior. People get on Facebook and complain and post their complaint and think I've done my part. Well, really it, they need to go the extra mile and send an email to their legislator. Absolutely. Like I said, I mean, it all just starts with searching for truth, being willing to hear everyone, especially people that you don't agree with or don't align with, you know, as far as from an ideological standpoint, 
to at least hear them because two things might happen. You're not going to change your convictions, but you might change your perspective. Exactly. I've done that many times with conversations with you. You have a great way of presenting your point or you know, sharing your ideas in a way that is non-confrontational and really speaks to the logic of the situation. I appreciate that. You're the same way. I mean, you've opened up my eyes to things that I wasn't aware of, but that's the beauty of it. Like, I feel like, not that we're God's gift to politics, but maybe we are. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like our relationship is a direct representation of what needs to happen for us to get things back on track, right? We've for got sure. to start having tough conversations. We've got to kick political correctness and cancel culture to the curb. Just start giving people the, my mother's name was Alma Clayton. And when you said something ridiculous, she would just go and just walk away. Right? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, like she wouldn't even, she wouldn't say a word. She would just walk away. You knew the conversation was done, right? And when people start trying to silence you or you know, say that you're racist or push you into a, well, you're sexist, you're against this, you're against, just whatever. And keep going. Yeah. Stand on your yeah. principles. Don't you don't have to be mean, argumentative, or rude, but you can't allow yourself to be silenced because of fear. Exactly. We cannot, we cannot do that any longer. We can't. And I think that's a great place to end the show today. I really appreciate everything you stand for, Shad. I mean, the ability to have the difficult conversations, to hear the other side, your principles always standing for freedom. I hope that your district recognizes how great of a representative you would be or a senator you would be. Well, I have no doubt that with the help of great people like yourself, that it's going to happen. I appreciate your support and you allow me to have a voice. And uh, I look forward to having more discussions here in the near future. For sure. And how can people find you, Shad? Yep. So one, you can go to our website. It is shadforiowa.com. Shad is S-H-A-D, and then for F-O-R, Iowa.com. You can donate there. You can sign up for our email list. We're going to start our newsletter here. You know, after caucus time and all that, we'll have a email newsletter set up. And then you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which is all the same, just Shad for Iowa. And you'll, you can pick up more information there. So Shadforiowa.com. What's your uh, district again? Or your, yeah. It is district number 16. Senate District uh, which number is 16. West Des Moines. Yep, Senate District 16, representing West Des Moines, Clive, and Windsor Heights of Polk County. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you next time. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Freedom Factor, please share it and subscribe to our channel. There has been an attack on freedom of speech and there is only one narrative that is currently being accepted in the mainstream media. Any information that is in opposition to that narrative is being censored. So it's up to us to share the truth in every way that we can. Alone, we may only be one drop of water, but together we are the ocean.